to jump away from James and head over to 1 Kings chapter 18. That's uh, the first third of your Old Testament. Right after uh, Joshua and the books of Moses. Verse 18, verse 21. Please stand when you find your place to read God's word. We'll also be on the screen behind me as well. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if all, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. It's reading the word. You may be seated. If I were to ask you who Elijah is, how many could tell me? Do we, do we know who Elijah is? Who's Elijah? Just, just show hands. You don't have to give me the full detail. What did Elijah do? What was his occupation? Is he a carpenter? No, he wasn't a carpenter. He wasn't a fisherman. What was he? A prophet. Very good, Russ. He was a prophet. And so many of us will know uh, Elijah. He's written about. He's, he's one of those prophets that's known as a major prophet, but does not yet. He doesn't have a book uh, named after him that you'll find in the Old Testament, but you'll read a, a lot about him. We read when with John the Baptist, they, they come to question him and they ask him, Are you the Messiah? Are you the prophet? Or are you Elijah? Or they ask if he's Elijah. Elijah is somebody very important in the Old Testament that we didn't need to know about. But what if I were to ask you about Obadiah? Who knows who Obadiah is? Another prophet. Yeah. Not in this particular circumstance. Yeah. yeah. Not many know about Obadiah. He he crosses paths with Elijah. And he's he's another man of God. But the reason we, we don't hear a lot about him. And we're going to get into that a little bit today. But I, I want, want you to think about this question as we look at their lives today. Would you rather be remembered as Elijah or Obadiah? Elijah. Elijah. He is known as a man of God. And uh, Obadiah is also a believer, but he doesn't quite have the same reputation. We're going to get into that today. But I want you to think about when, when your life is over, a, a time is going to come, um, if, if the Lord tarries his return, a time will come where there will be somebody doing... A eulogy at, at my funeral, at your funeral, at all of our funerals. Death comes for us all, except for Elijah. We'll get into that. Elijah is not, not dies. But what will they say about you? You know, if we were to give a eulogy for Elijah, there would be a lot to say. Most people, they talk about the jobs and the hobbies they've had. We, we talk about uh, the, the, the church we've gone to and, and our faith and things of that nature. But, you know, what will be those lasting things, those things that people remember you by? I want you to think about that. It, it's, it's usually at, at funerals, we don't talk about the negative things. We just talk about the positive things. And right where they do so, there are people that are mourning, and they, they do not want to hear their loved ones being bad-mouthed or things of that nature. But we have to be honest with ourselves. Is, is at the end of your life, as me as a pastor or, or whoever may end up doing your service, there's many of us have decades to go, and some of you all live me. Just the reality of life. But if that person that is doing your service what are they going to have to work with? Are they going to be able to say, this man or woman was indeed a, a true son or daughter of the Most High God? Are they going to be able to talk about their years of service to the king? Are they going to be scratching for family stories? Think about this. We, we can talk a long time about Elijah, not so long about Obadiah. But if we're honest, and myself included, we're much more like Obadiah than Elijah. We'll, we'll talk about this as we go on. So 
So I want us to talk about Elijah first. He's the one we know. He was called by God to be a prophet. He, I, I know many of us have had jobs before, and usually in our jobs we, we go through a period of training. Sometimes depending on the job, your training might be two hours. I've had job trainings where it's been six weeks. And if you count the, the calling of the pastor, the seminary was three plus years, plus the time before and after. There's, the training's never really done with, with this position. I want you to think about the jobs you've had. How long had, did you have to be trained? I, I, I say that because when we look at Elijah, God calls him as a prophet. But before he gives him his training and his equipping, he says, Elijah, now that I've called you and you've accepted this call, I want you to go and stand before the king, King Ahab. He has this well-known wife. Who, who knows what her name is? It's a woman known as Jezebel. Anybody hear that name before? The reason people use the word Jezebel in a negative connotation is because this woman Jezebel was an actual queen of Israel and she did horrible things. And so all evil women from henceforth have always been known as Jezebel because she is the example that is used as, as a wicked woman. You don't want to be called Jezebel. But Ahab doesn't fare much better. And so day one on the job, the prophet Elijah has to go before King Ahab and tell him what? Tell him that he has sinned greatly and that God is bringing judgment not only on him and his family, but on the entire nation because he is the king and he refuses to repent. And so he does this and Ahab doesn't take too kindly to this. And so he casts Elijah out and he orders the death of all the prophets of Abraham's God, of Yahweh. Now there, Jezebel had other gods. She, she had the, the god Baal, which we see here in Asherah. She had other gods, and they had their prophets and their priests, and they, they didn't mind them going about the country. But Elijah, he, he had to get out of town. And this is where his training begins. There was also a hundred other prophets uh, of God in that time, and Obadiah was a servant of the king. And so he, he wanted to preserve the prophets because he wanted to honor his king, but he also feared God. So he took those hundred prophets and divided them up you know, 50 in one cave, 50 in another. And day by day, he would sneak them bread and water. But Elijah ran where God told him to go. He ran to a small, a small brook. And this brook is called Cherith. And, and as you'll, you'll know from the story, that Elijah prays, and the judgment that is brought upon the nation of Israel is what? It's a drought. It does not rain for three years. We talked about last week with James praying with that powerful faith. Elijah prays a prayer of judgment and says, God forbid it to rain in the nation of Israel until I pray to you again. And the rain stops. I don't know about you, but I don't pray those kind of prayers. I don't pray that the water would stop in the United States because we would all suffer from that. And the nation of Israel greatly suffers. And, and one of the things that, that Obadiah is ordered to do by the king, and he says... The king Ahab says, I want to go this way and look for grass to feed my animals. You go that way and look for grass to feed my animals. Well, we see with Obadiah, he is very much concerned about the king's welfare. Well, Elijah is sent off to this brook. and It's a little bit interesting when, when we, we think of Elijah and think about how God provides. Has anybody ever been concerned on how they're going to put food on their table for their families? I, I imagine all our hands should be up there. You know, unless you've been very fortunate in life, you've, you've faced a time or two where you know, going to a few food pantry is a very r real reality. Now, there were not food pantries in those days. 
And so we have our, our great prophet Elijah sitting on a bank of rivers for water to drink because there's no water, there's no rain coming down. But he has no food. And so what does God do? He's, God says, trust me, I'm going to send ravens to bring you food. They will bring you bread and meat. And so does Elijah trust God? Yes, he does. And the ravens come every day in the morning and the evening, and they bring bread and meat to Elijah, and that is how he eats for a considerable period of time. Now, if we go over to Obadiah, as, as he's providing, being the source to provide for the other prophets, well, well what, is, what does he do? He provides them bread and water. And so you see the contrast of, of God's prophet is, is receiving meat while while the prophets that are not relying on God but relying on man, they, they only get bread and water for that same period of time. Now, the, now what is interesting is raven. Why, why a raven? Seems kind of odd that God would use a raven. They, they, they are considered unclean birds. They, they are not the nicest birds. But I'd have you hearken back to the ark. What did Noah send out first? Did he send out a dove first? He sent out a raven. God, God has used ravens um, to, to provide for the people, to, to search out things, and he provides for Elijah here. Now, things are going along, and Elijah's seeing that God's judgment is being done just, just as God told him he would, but something happens one day that, that might make some of us uh, be a little nervous, make us freak out a little bit. If, if your water source dried up, imagine if, if Lake Michigan or wherever we get our water source just were to dry up, we could no longer turn on our faucet and get a drink of water. How would we feel? Well, understand, it is not raining a long time, and it says he's by a brook. He's not by a river. You know, a brook is not very wide, not very long. And so what happens naturally? That brook dries up. Does Elijah say, oh, God, why did you send me to this place just so I, I would die of dehydration? No. He trusts God, and God says, it's time for you to get up and go to where I tell you. <laughs> and so he goes to this widow. Well, we know the story well. Jesus references, and I have two things I want you to know about this widow. Her name, Zarephath, means refining. Elijah needed to be refined. He was not yet ready to face the king again. And many of us, myself included, we need refining. We are not who we are, are going to be. Who God is not done with us yet. He's still refining us, working on us to, to be complete in Christ. And we see this with Elijah. And another thing that should be noted is the widow does not live in Israel. And Jesus notes that when, when he is testifying that God did not send his prophet to a widow in Israel, but he sent her out of Israel because they were under judgment. So it's a question we should ask ourselves. You know, are we ready for the, the task that God has given us? Are you ready to go and do what God has told you to do? Or do you still need some refining? That is a reality we, we, we all must face. And if we, you are like me, you need refining. You need to trust God to, to do the refining in His way. Because He will refine you exactly how He needs you for the task He has for you to do. And we can think about our, our trials in our life. You know, Not many of us have been asked to, to, to go before the King. You know, in a few weeks, we have a brother that's going to be preaching for the first time here on Sunday night. I encourage you all to come, and I'll give you the exact date when that, that's going to happen. But, but to that gentleman, what if I were to tell you that God tells you the first task you're to do is go to the White House and tell President Trump he is sinning, and tell him to repent, or there will be judgment on everyone in this country? Doesn't sound like a very fun task. I want you to understand that that was Elijah's task. Thankfully, you and I 
we are not given such a, a, a call to, to do that. That would not be a very easy thing to do. I hear he's hard to get appointments with. So. But I want you to see that, that when Elijah prays, when he makes that, that prayer for, for rain to stop, it stops. Elijah, while not perfect, he was a man who, who prayed with sincere faith. He trusted God to provide, and he trusts God to provide through this widow. And so when, when he goes, and, and sometimes I, I need to um, say that, you know, we'll ask things of other people, and we don't understand. Sometimes they give us a response that just seems really out of place. Have you ever had one of those? It's like, I was just, Elijah's just going along here, and he says, you know, he runs into this village, and there's this widow there, and he says, would you give me a drink of water and a piece of bread? Does that seem like an unreasonable task? To, to give a, a person a drink of water. It doesn't seem too bad to me. Unless you know the story behind what's going on with this widow. Is that all she has left is enough flour to make one more small batch of bread. And just enough oil for, for that bread. And so what Elijah in essence is asking without realizing is. He's going to her and saying. I am a prophet of God. Give God all that you have and trust him. And th this woman she does honorably, she prepares the meal for him. Even that knowing that this will be the last meal her and her son eat. It's important to know that, that while she is a widow and does not have a husband to provide for her, she still has a child to provide for. And she is struggling and battling with this. And so she, she wants to, to honor uh, Elijah. And she's heard about him as a prophet, wants to honor his God. She does not want his God angry with her. And so she goes forward and does this. And if you've been in Sunday school at all, you will know the next part of the story. What happens? As, as she prepares the meal and makes the bread, God does a supernatural miracle. And every time she goes to make bread, there just seems to be just enough for one more loaf. There just seems to be just enough oil. And I found in my life, and I'm sure many of you have found, that, that you may not be rich. And you may not have, have the type of wealth where you could go on lavish vacations. But you know what God says? I will provide for your needs. You will always have enough. Amen. Amen. And this is what the widow finds out. And they, like Elijah was, was tested with, with the ravens came in and when the brook dried up, she, she is tested with something great. A, a great test that I pray no one here has to endure. But what happens as Elijah is living there and she is being blessed, a time comes where her son dies. The, the, he becomes very sick and the light leaves him. And she says to him, O oh, prophet of God, why, why have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son? She's already lost her husband. And so she's saying to Elijah, why have you caused this? What have, what have you done? Why did you come here to my house of all the people you could have chose, of all the widows you could have been sent to? You came here. She is struggling because... You know, she has seen the blessing of God, but all of a sudden, tragedy strikes. Oftentimes, we are like this. We, we see God blesses us, and, and we want to give God praise and say, Look how blessed I am. God is doing this and this and this for me. Look at me, how great I am. God loves me. But what happens when tragedy strikes? What happens when we lose a loved one? When we lose that job that provides for us? We, we say, God, why have you done this to me? How am I going to make it? And this is the response of the widow at the prophet. Now, now before I go on, I want to ask you a question. Um, especially for those of you who know your Bible as well. 
How many times has resurrection taken place in the Bible up to the time of Elijah? From Adam to Elijah. Elijah lived in 800 B.C. And we, we place Adam's creation uh, about 4,000 B.C. For 3,200 years, how many resurrections took place? A lot of death. There have been zero resurrections from 4,000 B.C. to 800 B.C. So when the widow, when Elijah says, give me your son and praise over him that God would raise him to life, I want you to see that this is an immense prayer of faith because Elijah is asking God to do something that has never happened in the history of the world up to that point. Never. And so I want you to see, Elijah doesn't trust God because he's seen God do it before. He trusts God because he knows God is God and God could do anything he desires to do. Amen? So I want you to think about what's going on in your life, the trials you're facing. I know we all face different trials, and I don't know about most of the trials you're facing. But whatever it is, I want you to remember that God is able to do more than you can even imagine. He is able to do the things he has never done before. We often will hear that word resurrection. We'll think about Jesus. Jesus being God in the flesh went around and he resurrected people. We know the story of Lazarus. Um, very well. We, we know Jesus is the resurrection himself, and that is the great hope we have when we, we hear about our loved ones that have gone home to glory. Our great hope is a day will come where God will return in the form of Jesus Christ, and he will resurrect every single believer that has ever lived. And we trust him, and we have this hope because we have seen it with Jesus. But I want you to understand, Elijah has never seen a soul resurrected. There is no account of a resurrection before this. But what happens? Elijah prays with faith and very quickly, instantly, that boy has life again. That widow is praising God and praising Elijah. She is truly worshiping for her son has been given back to her. And what we see before that, she tended to judge Elijah. She said, why did you come that, that my sin that may be brought to remembrance, that, that you have called out my sin. And, you know, she believed that the reason her son died is because of her own sin. Oftentimes, as Christians, we'll, we'll be in the presence of other people, and just our presence alone will make them feel like we are judging them. I've been accused of that more times than I can account. But the, re, the reality is, is we are the light of the world. We represent Christ. And so when, when we are living as, as Christ calls us to live, it's going to make people uncomfortable. Do not get upset when they say, stop judging me and things of that nature. That's going to happen. Pray, pray that God will use those moments in their life. Okay? Because it is, it is not, not you that is doing it, but you are shining the light of Christ. That is a good thing. That is a testimony to how you are living. Now, I would warn us to be careful. Do not, do not be a hypocrite go around judging and not offering grace. Sometimes we can get, get in that habit of doing that. And that is not what Christ did. Christ offered us grace. He offered us forgiveness of our sins. Spurgeon had something to say on this. He said, Christian, you ought not to dread the arrival of evil tidings. As a Christian, we have all experienced evil things. We have all lost loved ones. We, we have all gone through hardships. We have all experienced evil being thrown upon us. As Spurgeon said here is very important. He says, Because if you are distressed by them, what do you more than other men? Other men have not your God to fly to. They have never proved his faithfulness as you have done. It is no wonder if they are 
bowed down with alarm and cower with fear. When we see the things on the news that we see, when we see these hurricanes, I understand when people of the world are afraid. These things are very scary. They're taking away homes in, in one storm. People are homeless and without power. People are losing their lives. And they don't know the God that you know to provide for them. And we should be there and, and explaining to people the, the hope that they can have in Jesus. And not being a judgmental people, but a people offering true hope. As we, that's a little bit of a picture of Elijah. And shortly after this, as now Elijah has been refined and he is ready, he is he has shown God to be faithful. He is about to be sent back to King Ahab. So I want to talk about Obadiah real quick. When, when we go and we take a look at Obadiah, he it says he feared the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He feared God. He he was what we, we would, if he lived in today's world, we would call him a Christian. He, he is one that, that would have gone to you know the, the synagogue or the church service, the temple of, of his day. He, he is one that, that would, have, would have been respected by, by those in the church. But what, what do we see? He's living out his faith in what? Is he telling his king that he's going to provide for the prophets that the king has ordered to be executed? No, he's doing it in secret. Now, I want us to think about, do we, is our faith like Obadiah's word? You know what? When we come on a Sunday morning where we're getting up in fellowship and greeting each other and having a good time, but at the end of the day, we're saying, you know, this faith that we have on Sunday morning, we don't talk about it. We go to work tomorrow, and, and we're just doing our job, and we're not being any different. We're being like the rest of the world. God is calling us to be like Elijah. He wants us to live lives remembered so that his name will be glorified. There's, there's reasons why people talk about Elijah and Charles Spurgeon, these other great names of the faith, the Billy Grahams. There's reason people remember them and talk about them because... They are very public with how they live their lives for God. And I would encourage everyone here today to, to make that resolution that you want to live a life that will be remembered for God's sake, not our own. Share a quick story of my old IT job. When, when I uh, put in my resignation, and it's kind of custom of the job, and when you've been there for so long, you send an email to all the people that, that you've worked with over time. And, you know, I... The office I was in had about a thousand people, so I sent out an email, and and to know me knows that you know I, I wear my faith on my sleeve. If you know me at all, you know I'm a Christian. Long before they called me a pastor, they you know they I I was the Christian in IT. I was the outcast. You know that uh, IT largely is made up of atheists. You know that that's the reality I lived in. But you know what I found out when I sent that email. I got about 500 responses, and some of them I knew, and I knew they were Christians. But about 400 of those responses are people I knew, but I had no idea they were Christians. That quite upset me. You know why? Because for 12 years, we could have been having fellowship over lunch, talking about what the great things God has done. I could have had them praying for me, and I could have been praying for them and their needs. But they were silent. They weren't any different than anyone else in the workplace. What about us? When, when we go to work tomorrow, if someone were to send you that email, would they know you're a Christian? Or would they be surprised by your response? I hope they would not be surprised. I, I hope they know you're a Christian. And if they don't, make it known on how you live. Being Christian is not just about preaching. It's about living out your life in faith every single day. It's about how we treat others, about the grace we offer others, the forgiveness. 
It's about how we work. Christ says to, to work for others as if you're working for the Lord. You should be the hardest worker in your workplace above all else because you're doing it as if you're doing it for Christ. Colossians 3.23. How we, how we should be living. Now, I, I don't want to get wrong, and I, I want us all to, you know, I put myself in Obadiah's boat as well. I, I don't want us to get, get Obadiah wrong. Obadiah was a man of faith, but he was not very courageous with his face. And, and so I think many times we find ourselves like Obadiah. And so here we, here we come to the point where Elijah is sent back, and who does he encounter on his journey as he's walking back? There's the encounter... Encounter King Ahab? No. This is one of those providential moments for Obadiah. Elijah encounters Obadiah. And now, what do, what do you think Obadiah's response to him was? Is it a response of joy or fear? Obadiah, the Christian, the man of God here that's been feeding the prophets, instantly becomes afraid because Elijah has returned. And Elijah says, go and tell King Ahab, that I have returned and I must speak with him. He says, what are you doing to me, Elijah? Do you not know that King Ahab has gone to all the surrounding countries and made their king swear an oath that you are not with them? King Ahab has been hunting for Elijah. He has been wanting to put Elijah to death for what he has done with his prayer. And so Obadiah is afraid to go to his king and say, the prophet Elijah has come and desires to speak with you. Because he feels that King Ahab will put him to death. He is more worried about his own life. More worried about caring for the king than providing for the things what God has told him to do. God is bringing judgment for the sake of repentance. God does not bring judgment in our own lives because God enjoys bringing judgment and wrath. God desires that we would all call on him. He desires to bring us back to himself. And that, that is what we see here with, with Elijah and Obadiah. So eventually, Obadiah makes Elijah give him a promise. He says, how do I not know that when I go to King Ahab, that the Spirit of the Lord will not take you off to some other place, and then the king will be furious with me? Elijah gives him all assurance. He says, surely I will visit with King Ahab this day. And so this is the part that uh, many of us will know if you've um, sat, sat in church any period of time, but well, what happens here? Elijah issues a challenge, you know, a great challenge for those uh, those YouTuber kids in the back that, that love to watch the challenge videos. I know who you are. Elijah lays down a challenge of all challenges. He says, "King Ahab, bring all your prophets of Baal, and bring all your prophets of Asherah." The Lord has a challenge. It's this day we're going to find out who is God and who is not. And so, what does he do? He says. You, you 500 prophets of Baal are given a bull. They're allowed to choose what bull they want to prepare it. And basically the challenge comes down to this. On one side, you have the prophets of Baal, 500 of them. And on the other side, you have Elijah preparing a bull to be offered as a sacrifice. And this is the stipulation that they have to pray to their God to rain down fire for the sacrifice. They're allowed to do whatever else they want, but the fire has to come from God. And over here, we, we have Elijah as he's preparing. He tells them to go uh, first because it's, it's going to take Elijah a long time to, to prepare the bull for sacrifice. But I, I want to just lay out what, what Elijah does isn't just 
just anything. He he prepares the bulls and he resets up the altar because it had been torn down by Ahab. It had been destroyed. But then he digs a trench about three feet deep around it. And he orders the people to, to pour water over the bull three times. And so you have the bull is wet, the wood is wet, and there is a trench of water all around it. It would be really hard to light that on fire. Amen? Amen? Anybody ever do campfires? That's not, I would not want to start that campfire. But over here, well, the, the worshipers of Baal, their prophet, they prepare and they're ready to go. And they start about what would be equivalent to our 6 o'clock in the morning. And they start praying to Baal till about noon. And, and they're doing all their rituals and, and asking Baal to rain down fire. And so guess how much fire gets rained down? None. There's no such thing as Baal. He's a fake god. Made up by, by, by the people. But I want to see, uh, Elijah is, uh, I know there are many here who like to watch sports, and in sports you'll see many people kind of agging each other on. It's fun sometimes in physical football, you see the, the corners of wide receivers just jarring at each other, yelling at each other, doing, trying to get in each other's head. So you have this with Elijah. This is, this is Elijah's words. Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And it says, and they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. So all these 500 prophets, they're being agged on by Elijah. And he's like, well, your God must be sleeping. Or he's relieving, he's going to the bathroom. Or maybe he went on a journey. Or maybe your God's asleep. God's don't sleep. And so then they start to cut themselves, and, and blood is gushing all over the sacrifice and on themselves. But still, there is no answer to their prayers, because they are praying to a God that does not exist. They should have no hope in ever receiving an answer to their prayers. But over here, as I've said, Elijah's prepared it, and there's the water that's been poured out through three times. And he prays to God, and what happens? God rains down fire from heaven onto the altar. The bull is instantly consumed. The water is dried up instantly. The wood turns to dust, and so do the stones. And it's then that the, the, the people realize who God is. And so this, this passage that, that we're looking at today, where Elijah says, How long will you go on limping? How long will, will you not make a choice between the true God and this false God. See, the people of Israel, they, they were the descendants of Moses and the people that came out of Egypt. They knew who God was, but they allowed these foreign entities into their land. They allowed these foreign gods. And so they're they trying to, to be have their, their foot in heaven, but also have their foot in hell at the same time and trying to be like the world. We're like, well, let's let the world worship how they want to worship. We'll worship both ways and we'll get the blessings of both gods. It does not happen like that. We must examine our lives. Are, are, are we going to be people of, of mighty faith like Elijah? That even when times get tough, even when there is no rain coming down, there's drought in our lives, literally and spiritually, are we going to trust God? Or are we going to go after and try to, to find some other God to, to, to make appeasement for, for our desires? We, we don't want to live in the middle. Obadiah is in the middle. He's stuck. He, he loves his king. He's a servant of his king. But at the same time, he loves God. 
If we love God, we're going to love him more than all else. Jesus talks about this over and over again. We need to have a love and a passion for God that will be remembered. When I asked you if you knew who Elijah was, I know most of you have heard the name at, at the very least. Most of us do, know, do not really know anything about Obadiah but these few passages. That is sad. He's a man who lived a life just like us, who lived a long life and served his king. He should have been remembered, but he's not because he kept his faith quiet, kept it secret. When, when we, we look at this passage, and as I, I wrap up here, I want us to talk about something I think that strikes us all sometimes. is The word indecision, where we're having a hard time making a decision from one way or the other. You know, are, are, are we going to, as a church, are we going to make a, a decision on the little house ever? Or are we always just going to be talking, talking about it? But as a church, we have to make a decision one way or the other. You have to make a decision. Are you, are you going to live your life out like Elijah? Or are you going to be Obadiah? Please don't be King Ahab. Don't even make that a choice. But we, we all have decisions to make. But I, I want, want you to know that this day, that if we were to go on in our indecision, not, not choosing the way God has told, uh, told us to choose, that indecision is a decision. It's a decision not to trust God. To not to stand up and be counted. It's a decision not to be remembered. Indecision is a decision not to bring God's glory. And as a Christian, I could I could think of no greater accusation against you to, to bring horror to, to my heart, to your heart, is to say you are a Christian who do not bring God glory. That is the reason you have been created, is to bring God glory. How we live our lives should bring God glory in all that we do. I know oftentimes, and I'm guilty of it as a preacher, we, we tend to present it that, that we are living like Christ or we are not saved. But the reality that the vast majority of us find ourselves in the middle, we're being Obadiah. You know, we, we know Jesus died for our sins and we've accepted him, but we won't move any further. We won't get out of our comfort zone. We won't say, you know what, I'm going to be like Elijah. I'm going to follow God with everything that I am. And if, and if the world doesn't like it, oh well, I'm not going to worry about what the world says about me. I guarantee you, if you lived in that day, if you were Elijah, nearly everyone in Israel would hate you. Because you were the one that prayed the prayer and made the rain stop. You were the one that called out to sin. Nobody likes to be, be the one being told that they're sinning. Nobody enjoys that. But we need to be like Elijah. We need to stand up and be remembered. We need our families to see that the faith is genuine. That we trust God even in the hardest of times. Not just when times are going good. So I encourage you this day, if you are like King Ahab and you don't really know who God is, come down to the altar when the music plays. But maybe you're struggling to be like Obadiah. I encourage you to take a look at your heart, take a look at your life. What are those decisions that you need to make? Are those things in your life that you need to get rid of that are stopping you from following after God? Choose to follow God. Let there be no indecision. Make Him your top priority. Let everything else fall in line after God. Let us pray. Father, Father, Lord Jesus, I give you thanks for this day. I give you thanks for all your blessings, Lord God. I give you thanks for who you are. I give you thanks that you offered us a choice to choose you, Lord God. May we never be indecisive of that. May we follow you forever. In your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you.